Advancing the kingdom. Last time we were talking about the privilege of the Christian being adopted into the family of God. Remember that? Talking about that? The Christian being adopted into God's family. And we described how in the natural it's a great thing for a child to be adopted into a good family. But this is so much, much more, right? Being adopted into the family of God himself. With all the rights, with all the privileges of being a child of the king. Incredible. Incredible, right? Albeit a king with a kingdom that isn't quite the way the kingdoms of the world are, right? Now, a lot of what we've been talking about naturally deals with what Jesus did for us. If it wasn't for what Jesus did, there would be no adoption for Christians. There would be no real relationship between God and his people. There would be no real reconciliation, would there? But God revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, right? So it is through Christ that we know God. If it wasn't for Christ, we wouldn't know God. The Old Testament people, they had it a little different than we did. They had the natural things, the natural wonders. They could look around. They could see the sky. They could see the mountains. They could see all those things. But the person of God is revealed in Christ. That is the benefit that we have. I think a lot of people have a natural desire to want more out of life. You can imagine those Old Testament people. They wanted a little more. They wanted to know about God. They wanted to know more about him. But it wasn't the right time. And we talked about that a few times, too. There's this natural desire to want to improve, to get a little bit more out of life. You know, when we get a taste of steak, nobody wants chopped meat anymore, right? <laughs> when you meet the person of your dreams, nobody else measures up anymore. We have this desire to increase. In this next section of the text that we're going to study today, the Apostle Paul appeals to that sense or to that desire of wanting more, to increase, to make things better, advancing the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's go in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 8. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Don't have your Bible, I'll read it anyway. So don't worry. Galatians chapter 4. Right after 2 Corinthians. Everybody got it? Okay, here we go. Verse 8. However then, when you knew not God, you did service to them by which, by nature, were not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months in years and times, I'm afraid of you, afraid for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Let's stop there. Now, we remember the context of what we've been talking about. Paul has been teaching this Galatian church. He set them up previously, and now he's, he's writing to them. He's coming to them. There were these Judaizers that were coming into the early church. They were trying to tell them that Paul is not a true apostle. You should not be following him. Remember, they were the Jesus plus people. They said, that, yes, it's Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. But we've got to do that plus, plus the traditions and the laws of Judaism. Okay, so this is what Paul is addressing here now. 
So he, he talks about a very specific time here in verse 8. He says, however, then, when you knew not God, you did service to them, which by nature are no gods. When you did not know God, a very specific reference in time. And I think we can relate to that a lot, can't we? We can remember the time when we didn't know God. Times in our past, before we had a relationship with God, and we can remember how things were and how different they were. And we use that many times in our testimony, don't we? You know, we use that and we say, you know, I used to be like this. But when I came to God, now I have peace. Now I can control my temper. Now I don't say those things I used to say. Now I don't act the way I used to act. Yeah, I still mess up sometimes, but I'm a different person. He's talking about a very specific time reference here. And it says here that they did service or they were uh, enslaved to those who were not gods. Remember, this was a very pagan area here. They, many of them had been into pagan idol worship. They would serve an idol. As a servant, their wish would drive your actions. Right? Remember that, that servant-master-servant relationship? Right? Their wish serves your actions. This is what I want, so I'll do anything I can to make what you want happen. Your goal is to please them, or in many times in the case of these idols, is to appease them. I don't want the idol getting mad at me. Right? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having a, a religion like that, a worship system like that? I don't want this statue getting mad at me. We have Jesus, the living God, coming, showing us, revealing God to us. But as a servant, it would drive their action. Think of the bondage involved in serving in an inanimate object. But look at it says now in verse 9. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known of God. Interesting. But now, now that you know him, rather are or known by God. The emphasis here is on God's action in coming to reconcile us. You are known of God. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, we remember it says in chapter 5, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God initiated it. God initiated his love towards us to draw us in. It highlights just how important we are to God. That's powerful. That's powerful. God created all of us. He created all of you, all me, you, everybody. He created all of us. How important we are to him that he tried to reconcile us to himself. He initiated it. He did it first. How much he values us. We read a lot of times uh, lately in the news about people committing suicide. People have to be know this. People have to understand this. You know, sometimes even Christians get crazy thoughts. But really what we need to see is this. This is all from God who reconciled us to himself. How important. How much he values us. Anything compared to God is inferior. So how can you turn your back on him, God, Paul is saying. Go back to those weak and lowly and miserable forces. Once you know what is right, everything else just looks so weak and wrong. You don't really want to become slaves to those idols again, do you? And remember, he's bringing up a good principle here. We are either a servant to one or a servant to the other. Like Bob Dylan used to say, right? You're going to have to serve someone. 
In fact, Jesus said it first. He said, you, no man can serve two masters, right? He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He's talking about But the incredible thing about being a servant or being a slave is that you have a choice who to follow. Now think about that. You have a choice that makes all the difference in the world, that sheds a totally different light on things. It's one thing to be a servant. It's another thing to get to pick who you serve. Wow. Who am I going to be the servant of? People's New Testament commentary says that these people had been delivered from the bondage of idolatry, but now they were relapsing into another form of bondage, that of the law. The Judaizers were coming in and trying to tell them it's Jesus plus the law. Do this too. So they were relapsing into this, this other kind of bondage. Look what it says in verse 10. You observe days, and months, and times, and years. By observing these things, does that make you holy? That's really what Paul is saying. By observing these things, by honoring these feast days, these special days, these Sabbath days, does that make you holy? It's not what Jesus said. By not honoring these things, does that make you holy? It's got nothing to do with it, right? It's got nothing to do with it. I read an interesting article uh, last week, and the, uh, I forget the title of it, but the gist of it was, I don't want to be remembered for what I'm against, but rather for what I stand for. That's powerful. I don't want to be remembered as a Christian for what I'm against. I don't like this, I don't like this, don't do this, don't do this. I want to be remembered for what I stand for. The principles of God. Responsibility. Relationships. Honor unto my God. The perception of Christians by the people out there at this time is extremely poor. We were just talking about it this morning. It's extremely poor and it's getting worse. Christians are, are, are mistrusted. They're considered hypocrites. People who hate everything, hate everybody. They're miserable. Most of all, they're phony. That's the perception that we're fighting against every day. But you know what? Some Christians wear this as a badge of honor. They say, they, you know, they hated Jesus, so I must be doing something, right? And that's true to an extent. But remember, not everybody hated Jesus. He made tremendous strides in gaining the confidence of ordinary people. Those who were not miserable, phony, hating everyone and everything. He spent a great deal of his time railing against the hypocritical religious leaders. But the common people loved him. Hmm. So what's our problem? Maybe to some extent the people out there are right. Maybe we are too much like that. Hypocrites who hate everything, hate everybody, miserable, and are phony. We've got to be careful how we're perceived. Quiet in here. Verse 11. I'm afraid for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He's showing his disappointment in them. I started this church. I started this labor of love in you. And now I'm afraid for you, unless I did this in vain. He's expressing 
his disappointment. So from a Christian standpoint, these are, really, these are very tough times that we're living in. Persecution, fear, running rampant, right? We turn on the news and we see Christians being killed all over the world. It can be a scary thing. It can be a scary thing. Persecution is running rampant. And as I said, the perception of Christians is quite poor. More and more are turning against us. So what are we supposed to do? Just clam up? Sit in the corner? Worry until Jesus comes back? Is that what we're supposed to do? I don't think so. Or do we try to adapt? Adjust our strategy? Think of something new to reach those people out there. Flexibility has to be a key in any strategy, whether it's to be successful in business or successful in ministry. Let's listen to what Paul did. Let's continue in our scripture here. Pick up in verse 12. Verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my temptation or trial, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ himself. Where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. I am therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Listen to the relationship that they had here. What do we do when times get tough? In verse 12, he says, Become like me, because I have become like you. Interesting wording. Kind of a weird, weird thing. Interesting wording. And there's a couple of different ways we can look at this statement. Maybe now he's just describing their close bond. I became like you. I became a close friend to you. We built a relationship with each other. I invested myself in you. And his desire was for them to become more like him. This is quite bold, isn't it? This is quite bold. Am I such a good example that people should follow me? How many times would we make such a bold claim as that? Makes you think, doesn't it? There's another way we can look at this, which may fit, actually fit our context a little better. Remember Jesus, not Jesus, remember Paul here, he was talking about the Judaizers, the Jesus plus people, right? He could be saying to them, now live in freedom from these traditions like I do, like Paul does, because I became like you Gentiles because you were free from the law to begin with. So now do the same and become free from the law again. He's talking about the law, and he's talking about being free from the law. So we have the law, and we have freedom from the law. The Gentiles naturally were free from the law. They didn't even know about it. Paul was preaching to them, we are now free from the law through Jesus Christ. So I became like you, free from the law. Now you're going back to the Judaism. You're going back to the law. Become like me now. Wow. Live in freedom from those traditions. Do the same thing and become free from the law. Now it gets a little even more interesting in verse 13. He says, Now you know how through infirmity of the flesh 
I preached the gospel to you at the first. As you know, he says, or maybe they know, but the details are not told to us. So we really don't exactly know what's going on here. Perhaps Paul was on this trip, and because of some illness that he had, he was detoured to their city, and he had to stop. Or maybe he just had to stop for a rest for some reason. But he stopped in their area. The point is he still used that as an opportunity to start a church, to preach to these people, to teach them, to get them to know about Christ. How many times have you been in an, in an unfortunate circumstance and had the occasion or used the occasion to share your faith in Christ? I'm sure when Pastor Linda was in the hospital this week, I'm sure what she was doing was talking about God all the time with everybody that she saw, right? Using an unfortunate circumstance to preach the word. Show Christ. That's how people really know about you. They see the real you when you're under pressure. I remember an old, a church we used to go to, the pastor used to say, it's like that tube of toothpaste, right? When you get squeezed, what comes out of you, that's really what you are. When you're under pressure. And they see, they react how you are. They see how you react under pressure. That's real. That's tangible to them. If you're still a Christian witness, if you're still a godly person, that's real to them. Or do you just react as everybody else does? Panic and give up. Sit in the corner, clam up, and just wait till God comes back. Is that what we're going to do? No. It's not what we're going to do. Hmm. In verse 14, he says, And my temptation or my trial or this infirmity, whatever it was here, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. They could have been tempted to ignore his message. They could have been tempted to ignore what he was saying. Why? Because he was a burden to them in their flesh. They were caring for him. They were being caretakers for him. Being a caretaker is difficult. It can wear you down, can't it? Hmm. If you're not careful, if you do it too long, it can wear you out, can't it? Hmm. You could be the next one who's in need of a caretaker. <sighs> it can be a very unhealthy thing, both physically and mentally. But they treated him as one of the family, even better than that, even as if he was an angel or if he was Christ himself. Incredible. Look at verse 15. Where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that it, if it had been even possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Oftentimes people start out with good intentions, right? What has happened to your zeal is what he's saying. Oftentimes people start out with these good intentions, but they burn out after a while. And we need to be careful to watch for those signs of burning out spiritually, don't we? Most often it's because of we lack the things that we know we need, right? Taking a rest, taking breaks, taking care of ourselves. Many times that's all it is, and that's the root of it. Paul's saying here that you guys were so devoted to me that you would have even taken out your own eyes and given them to me. Wow. But what has happened to your zeal now? It's very graphic, right? Take out your own eyes and give them to me. We were talking the other day about a baseball player we saw who was ambidextrous and could throw with both arms. Just reminded me of something that Yogi Berra said, that a lot of people would give their right arm to be ambidextrous. 
Uh, but it seems that the Judaizers had soured their taste of the people for Paul. It could be like Jesus' description of those people who were planted in shallow ground. Right? They had no root in themselves. There was no root for stability. It's also interesting, too, is that's a very similar tactic that cults use today, if you think about it, is this separation technique. Isolation, they try to ostracize people. Someone who has once been favorable now becomes the enemy. In fact, look in verse 16 what Paul says. For I am therefore be am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now am I your enemy because I'm telling you the things of God? Again, that cultic isolation technique. They'll say everything this person ever told you is a lie. Only the stuff that we're telling you is what's true. They try to isolate the person out of there. By implication, the Judaizers are the ones that are lying. Now, this is a frustration we can often feel today as we are sharing the gospel. How can they get so offended at us? How could they not listen? How could they not think I'm telling them the truth? I'm telling you this for your own good. This is a frustration that we feel many times. Don't turn against me. We see Paul was going through this very same thing. Nothing new. Now, another good piece of advice for Christians in these troubling times is to be wise and not to be fooled by what's going on around you. Now, don't be fooled by the pressure that's coming against you. Don't be fooled into thinking that the Antichrist has the truth and you do not. Just because times are hard does not mean that the word of God has changed. It has not. Just because times are hard doesn't mean that we give up. Maybe our method or the way that we present needs to be adjusted, but the truth is always the truth. God created us and he created the earth. It's true. Whether I know it, whether I believe it, whether everybody else knows it or believe it, if it really happened, it's true. Truth is truth. God is always God. Jesus is always the way. In fact, you know, we've been talking about being adopted into God's family. Now, let's think about that again for a minute, how we got there. How do we get adopted into God's family? We said that it is through Christ and his death that we're justified, declared righteous. We're justified through Christ, declared righteous, and grafted into the family of God. And he becomes our father, right? Abba, father. We talked about that, right? Now, think again about what Jesus said that got everybody all upset. And in fact, today gets everybody all upset. He said, no one can come to the father except through me. Think about it. No one can come to the Father except through me. Notice he didn't say, no one can come to God. But he said, no one can come to the Father. Jesus is saying the same thing that Paul has been trying to bring out here in all these chapters, that it is only through Christ that one is adopted into the family of God and can call him Father. Wow. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Look at verse 17. They zealously affected you, but not well. Yes, they would exclude you that you might affect or seek them. 
But it is good to be zealously affected, always in a good thing, but not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you and to change my voice or my tone, for I stand in doubt of you. Paul's worried for them. He's worried for them. Now, this verse 17 in NIV, it's translated this way. It says, those people, those people are zealous to win you over, but not for good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you have zeal for them. Again, that separation technique. Their intentions are not good. They'll do anything they can to win you over. False promises, false teachings that sound real good, slandering someone else. And in this case, it's their former teacher, Paul. This cultic mentality make you think what is good is bad, but what is bad is good. Don't welcome Paul anymore. He's no good. We're the only ones that are your real friends. Fostering this mistrust. I can't do that. Paul says, make sure that they're not phony. Just putting on their best behavior in front of me. Treating him well only when he was standing around. Now, isn't that sneaky, you're thinking to yourself? Isn't that a sneaky thing? But, you know, sometimes we do the same thing. How many times have we witnessed that ourselves? When the person of conversation is around, all is well. But as soon as they walk away, that gossip mill gets churned right up again. We've got to be careful. In verse 19, Paul says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. It's like I'm birthing you all over again. That's how sincere I am. I'm not like those phonies who are trying to get you to like them. I have your best interests at heart. I travail in birth until Christ is formed in you. These aches I have will continue until you are fully mature. So grow and mature and make me proud of you. That's where Paul's going. So if we look at all these points we talked about today, why would you want to go backwards? How could you possibly turn your back on God, go back to those low, weak, miserable forces. Anything compared to our God is inferior. Once you know what's right, everything else looks wrong. You don't really want to go back to becoming a slave to those inanimate objects again, do you? You're either a slave to the one or a slave to the other. Like Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. We're going to serve God only. But the good news is that we have a choice who to serve. And that puts a totally different light on things. Because it's one thing to be a servant, but it's totally another thing to be able to pick who you want to be a servant of. We choose God. We choose God. We've got to be flexible when times are tough. <clears throat> what are we supposed to do when the tough things come? Just clam up, sit in the corner and wait until Christ comes back? Or do we adapt? Adjust our strategy Think of something new to reach that world out there. Flexibility is a key in any strategy, whether it be successful business strategy or successful ministry strategy. And perhaps that, that trip that Paul was detoured to the territory of the Galatians was because of an illness. Maybe he had to just stop for a while, but he used that as an opportunity. How many times should do we do the same thing? 
use an unfortunate circumstance as an opportunity to share our faith in Christ. Because that's how people really know about us. How we react under pressure. That's real and that's tangible. That's what they can see. Don't react like everybody else does. And don't be fooled. Don't be fooled into thinking that the Antichrist has the truth and you don't. Just because that's what everybody else is saying. Look into the word. Find out why it is that the things we preach are true. There's solid reasons for it. Just because times are hard doesn't mean that the word of God has changed. Perhaps our method or our way of presenting needs to be adjusted, but the truth is always the truth. The intention of the Judaizers was not good. They'll do anything to win those people over. False promises, false teaching that sounds real good, even slandering someone else. In this case, it was Paul. But Paul said, I'm not like those phonies who are trying to get you to like them. I have your best interests at heart. I travail in birth until Christ is formed in you. These aches that I have will continue until you are fully mature in Christ. So grow and mature. He was trying to say to his people, come on people, make me proud of you. Amen?